This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Sustainable-ish podcast. As always, it's really marvellous to have you here. It really does mean a lot to have you tuning in, so thank you, thank you very much. Today is another cracker of an episode, and it's about something that we haven't really dived into before on the podcast, I don't think, which is eco-anxiety. I'm chatting to Megan Kennedy Woodard, a coaching psychologist and one half of climate psychologists alongside her husband Patrick. Together they have co-authored a brilliant book called Turning the Tide on Climate Anxiety, which has the tagline Sustainable Action for Your Mental Health and the Planet, which sounds pretty good, right? Because I think it's a pretty safe bet that if you're listening to this podcast, then you will probably have run the gamut of all the climate fields, from anxiety to rage to despair and everything in between. In the book, Megan and Patrick explore the science behind climate anxiety, the whole range of emotions that we might be feeling, and crucially, what we can do about it. It's so much more than simply a book about climate anxiety. It's kind of a workbook to help you to explore and identify your emotions related to climate stuff. And then it's packed, I think really importantly, with tools and tips and ideas to help us to move from climate anxiety to climate action. The book came out last week and it's available everywhere you can buy books. If you have a local independent bookstore, then obviously please do support them. It's really tough still for retailers out there, or independent retailers, shall we say. If you're buying online, then my go-tos are World of Books and Hive, and I will link to both of them in the show notes, which you can find at www.asustainablelife.co.uk forward slash podcast. I think that this is a super important episode. We see more and more studies saying that more and more of us are feeling anxious about the state of the planet and the future that we and our children and grandchildren are facing. And that can leave us in a state of overwhelm and despair. And it's very hard to take action from that place. So please do share this episode with family and friends that might be Um, suffering or that might be that you think might be a little bit anxious because this as well as with all climate stuff is something that we need to talk about more and as ever if you enjoy this episode and the podcast in general please do leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts I will catch you next time and in the meantime enjoy hi Megan welcome to the podcast hello thank you for having me And today we're recording this on actual publication day of your book, aren't we? So happy publication day. Thank you. It's very exciting. Uh, Also terrifying in my experience. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I was mentioning, yeah, we sort of want everyone to read it and no one to read it because of that imposter syndrome. So I'm just challenging my negative thinking as you'd learn about if you read the book. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, We're going to talk today about the book, which has just come out, Turn the Tide on Climate Anxiety. But before we dive into that, can you introduce yourself and let us us know a little bit about your background? Sure. So I am co-director and co-founder of Climate Psychologists, along with my partner, Dr. Patrick Kennedy-Williams. And we sort of, we came from a traditional psychological backgrounds. I was a coach and he's a clinical psychologist. Um, And we sort of noticed more and more people presenting with climate anxiety, bringing it to therapy, um, bringing it to coaching, and also sort of just around our daily lives, more and more people struggling to know how to talk to their children about it, mm. um, how to actively engage in it. And we saw that we sort of had the skill set 
Um, but there wasn't really a, a sort of a method that we'd use. You know, we don't, we don't want to challenge this mm-hmm. as negative thinking because actually it's real and it needs to be addressed. And the emotions are actually very normal responses mm. to an existential crisis. Um, so we started to sort of work out some tools and, um, and learn from sort of the clients that were bringing this um, into the therapy space. And um, it sort of developed quite naturally as a marriage between clinical psychology and coaching, because you know, we know that actually action is so important in climate anxiety. So that really is when the coaching came in and also just sort of normalizing the grief, the despair, the um, sort of, you know, the anger. And, and that was a good place for that to sort of be explored through the therapeutic side. Mm. So we went on to, um, to found climate psychologists and we provide individual and, co- um, and uh, therapy and coaching. And we also consult for businesses, schools, governments, and nonprofits. Wow. That's our spiel. <laughs> so like prior to sort of clients presenting themselves, were you in the kind of green space or were you sort of, I can't think of the word, like eco-minded is completely wrong, but do you know, did you have a sort of awareness yourself and have you been sort of doing some bits and pieces? You know, it was interesting because it really kind of happened around the same time. And I think it kind of, uh, there was a Gerster um, magazine interview that said basically the climate anxiety kind of hit pop culture around 2019 when we were Mm. starting to see Extinction Rebellion coming Mm. up and things like that. Um, and to be honest, actually, it was, it was just a short time before that, that we really started having people present with this. And around the same time, I joined an eco club with my kids. And that really, that really is when it clicked in for me. Um, I, I started to, I had one of my, my best friend as well, who also um, wrote the foreword for the book. She invited me to come along and listen to an Extinction Rebellion chat with um, Tamsin Ogmund, who... Um, has also written some great books. Mm. Uh, and I, I just learned so much more and kind of dove into, you know, how much of an actual crisis this is rather yeah. than sort of dipping my toe in. Um, and I experienced all those emotions that come with it. And so I really kind of went on the journey myself. And, and you know, it was really important that we felt the kids were active in it, um, that we were, you know, we were part of the solution. And we sort of yeah. thought this is the way to have the biggest impact. Yeah. So how old are your kids? I've got a nine-year-old daughter and um, a seven-year-old son. Okay, brilliant. Perfect. Um, and actually, you were just saying um, before we hit record that book number two has just been submitted, and that's for young people around um, climate anxiety. Yeah, so it's very, you know, we know that this is something that really affects young people people more, and it's really important that they um, sort of have that resilience and, mm. um, and are able to, you know, feel empowered in their action as well. Um, so we've got that coming out sort of, the age range is about eight to 14 because, you know, the sort of how, how kids engage with this varies mm. quite a lot um, in our experience. But yeah, we've, we've been able to incorporate some wonderful stories from young people who are really active in their work and, and really sort of switched on on how it affects them psychologically as well. And when's that coming out? Uh, I don't have a date yet. Actually. Okay, I, just cool. I was just thinking, <laughs> we'll definitely have to get you back on then to <laughs> oh, talk about, you. you know, how we kind of help our children sort of deal with this. But I know that lots of the the information like in this book is, you know, can be applied to, to, to our kids and sort of all those conversations, whether they're having them with our kids or with um, other adults and that kind of thing. So the, the book, I mean, it's, well, I guess let's talk, let's start talking about this phrase, climate anxiety. Sure. Is there a technical definition? Yes. I mean, so it's often referred to as sort of a looming sort of impending doom of what's to come from the change that's happening in our climate. Mm. Um, And although it's sort of labeled climate anxiety, we know that there are a lot of different emotions that come with it. So um, anger, guilt, um, despair, uh, grieving. And so there's a lot of these negative emotions that we we sort of contextualize within that umbrella. Mm, Yeah, we did a, um, a like a month um, in the Naked Mums Eco Club, a kind of self-care month. And we were talking right. about climate anxiety. And exactly this point came up that somebody was like, well, I don't know that I'm anxious, but I'm really raging or I'm feeling really despairing or guilty or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and actually, as you said, that all kind of comes under that umbrella, I guess, of, of maybe negative emotions about yeah. climate. And we want to really lean into those because um, as much as they're just dis- un- uncomfortable, um, when we sort of greet them and nod to them without bowing to them, then we can use them as sort of flashlights to show us where our values are, what mm-hmm. we care about. You know, it's fine to be furious about this because it's your child's future. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay that you're angry about this. It's okay that you're sad about this. What we don't want is to um, 
affect people so much that they're not able to enjoy their lives and enjoy the work that they do. And that often is, um, you know, that needs to come in balance with exactly how you pointed out that self-care, taking breaks, connecting with others. Um, So that's where we really want help people to sort of develop their skills and um, their growth in this area so that they can keep doing that climate work. Mm. And I've seen you talk about it before on, on social media. And also you talk about it in the book, this idea of and you use the term pathologizing, um, mm. which if you can explain that, but you know that that actually this is a very and you said it right at the start, it's a very normal response. So there's a line to be drawn between. Yeah, I think you said it that, you know, it, it's normal to feel like this. But if it starts affecting impacting your daily life and that yeah. kind of thing, then it needs you need some help. But yeah. and this idea of sort of pathologizing it, can you just explain that to us? Certainly. So it's not it's not recognized by um, it's not recognized as a mental health disorder. Um, and m- I, I would argue that most people um, that I speak with just really don't think that it should be because, again, mm-hmm. it's a normal response. Mm. But I guess in the sense of it being classified, one of the arguments of if it were to come under um, under that, there might be additional funding for research or for um, insurance aid and companies and things like right. that. But there are already insurers that are um, agreeing to pay for therapy oh, wow. due, to, due to climate anxiety. But I guess, you know, we want to focus on, you know, on the emotions and allow for them. But I think it's also really important to allow for the positive emotions that come from climate work too. You know, there, there are different messages that are going to come across and, and come into people and let them sort of engage with this. And, and we think that, you know, part of the problem with um, the climate crisis, we say, is that it has an image problem. It's been sort of this thing that's for hippies or this yes. thing that's for, um, I think you put it beautifully of like, you have to go knit yogurt. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and actually, um, and so there's that side of it, but also sort of the, the doom and the fear and the, and, and the images of, you know, these horrible things happening. Also the distance factor, it's far away. It's not near mm. enough. So there's a lot of um, the way that climate has been communicated to us doesn't engage us because mm. it doesn't sort of pull in the stories that are necessary to get us involved, to get us emotionally able to want to engage mm. um, and not dis- you know, disengage because it's too scary or it's not going to yeah. affect me or it's not my thing. Um, and so, so it's actually, yeah, it's, it's really important that we sort of allow for, um, for different messages and different people to come to the climate, to come to their climate work and experience their climate emotions sort of in their own journey, I think. Yeah, and, and that's so true. I, I did a, actually, I think it's like the first in-person talk I've done since COVID uh, last night. And I said, you know, this is a huge, overwhelming issue. And you can understand why a lot of people choose and I think subconsciously or unintentionally to look away from it because mm. why would you want to engage in this thing that is quite frankly terrifying mm. you know and and so you know as frustrated you know as, as much as the sort of frustration I feel with like we need everybody on board I can kind mm. of understand it and there are honestly days where I think I wish I didn't know this and I wish <laughs> I could you know carry on in blissful ignorance well, it's, you know, it is, it is like we say that, um, you know, a little bit of anxiety is a good thing because mm. it motivates us to take action. A little bit of denial, and I'm not <laughs> saying the deniers, but a little bit of denial actually allows us to get out of bed every morning yes. and do the work that we need to do. So that's okay. And, and a lot of it, I think we need to understand that, um, you know, there's been a lot of communication that's been very tactic, you know, it's, it's tactic climate information, you know, it's done through greenwashing, it's done through, um, you know, there's a lot of that as well. So there's a, there are reasons why people um, have kind of thought, oh, I don't need to worry about this. Mm, yes. Exxon's saying we need to suck carbon out of the, out of the, you know, I, I keep seeing these things pop up. And, um, and so there have been huge disinformation campaigns as well. Mm. Um, and, and they appeal to our brain that wants to think it's okay. Everything's fine. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we do know that the sort of closer people are to the climate crisis, whether that's um, feeling the direct impacts, you know, being in, in flood zones or fire zones mm. or typhoon zones, um, they have an increased level of climate anxiety, as well as people who have that, um, you know, sort of closeness to the information that's there as well, mm. researchers, people working sustainability, people that read the books and do the, do the research. So the more you know, the more, <laughs> the more real it feels, I guess. Yeah. And one of the things I, I saw, and I, I can't remember when it was, it was over a year ago, um, somebody made a comment on social media and this, I think that the narrative that maybe lots of us in the climate space here and 
maybe say quite a lot, and I know you guys say it as well, that the antidote to climate anxiety is climate action, which is absolutely, I 100% agree with. And this person was just pushing back a little bit and going, hold on a minute, we do, rather than just jumping straight from anxiety to action and almost not acknowledging that anxiety, like that has to be a really important step in it. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, actually. And you talk quite a bit about that in the book, don't you, this idea of almost sort of recognizing those feelings. And you said right at the start, sort of leaning into it. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because sometimes, you know, if we've got uncomfortable feelings, we just want to sweep them under the carpet or numb them or whatever we do, you know, however we deal with our feelings in a usually quite unhealthy way. <laughs> well, so I, I'm sort of, in, in the family, I'm I'm the run and find out and Patrick's yes. the research for too long. And so actually it came together in quite a nice way because I was like, it's anxiety to action. We've got to fix this. We've got to get yes, to work. We've got to do this. Like. we got to da, 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 da. <laughs> And then it was like, wait, we also need to think about how this affects us. And so our image, our sort of our original um, thesis was anxiety to action. And having done the research, having worked more with people, we've realized that it's actually anxiety to sustainable climate action. Mm. And that sustainable means that it's not only sustainable for us, but it's sustainable for the planet. Yeah. Um, so we have to we've seen so many people rush into this and do all the hard work for six months and burn out and Mm. not touch it and feel terrible about it and feel like they failed. And actually that doesn't, that doesn't commit us to the long-term work that we need to do. It doesn't commit us to stealing ourselves emotionally and, and, you know, being vulnerable and, you know, taking all the steps that we need to do um, in order to keep us sort of in this for the long haul, which is Mm. what we need to do. It's, it's hard for the human brain because, we, when we see something scary, we want like, you know, we react and we want to fight or fly or, you know, whatever we need to do. Um, but with global warming, the way that, you know, it, what it needs is sustained action and sustained attention without immediate reward yes. um, or resolution. And our brain's <laughs> like, I hate this. Why yes, is this happening? Yes. This is awful. Mm. Um, so that's why it's so important for us to, um, when we're doing our climate work, acknowledge what we're doing acknowledge what we're doing, acknowledge our achievements, celebrate them, mm. um, connect with others who are doing the same thing, talk about how we're feeling. So it's really, it, that's what's going to keep us sustained from that, you know, not just anxiety, action, action, anxiety, mm, <laughs> you know, we yes. need to just kind of go a little more slowly, a little more gently. And that's so important. And we talk about this a lot in the Academy Eco Club. We have a, um, like every, every Friday, we have a, like, uh, you know, a celebration thread, a sort of ta-da, we, I talk about mm. ta-da list, so I can't That's remember, cool. um, yes, yeah. uh, it's not my, it's not my idea or um, thing, I've stolen it shamelessly from somebody else and I can't remember, but, um, and so often people will say to me, and I've done sort of beginners courses before, and people come in going, oh, I shouldn't be here, I, you know, I haven't really done anything, and I'm like, okay, first thing we're going to do is brainstorm all the things that you've already done that are good, <laughs> and honestly, people who are like, I've done nothing, they've got a list of 20 things, and mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a, a psychologically proven thing but our brains seem very good at forgetting about and dismissing the good things that we've done very quickly and berating our focusing on the stuff we haven't done and beating ourselves up for the stuff that we haven't done is that a kind of is there a posh psychological term for that it's called minimization and there's uh, a whole little section on it in our book <laughs> so these are these are unhelpful thoughts um, and we can and we can challenge these negative thoughts because like i said at the beginning we're not challenging um, our thoughts about global warming, that it's terrible, that mm-hmm. we all need to be doing things that da, da, da. you know, th- those are, those are okay thoughts, but I'm not doing enough. Um, what I do doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we can, we don't need to minimize the impacts of governments right now because they could be doing <laughs> a bit more. Um, but as individuals, it's important not to do this or just looking at where we failed. That's another one. Oh, I, I set out to do this and yes. I didn't. And, and that, and now it's not worth doing anything because I've already failed, you know, so and that's, you that's in my we, head. <laughs> <laughs> that's when we get that low self-efficacy. And actually by there's, there's a really, you know, they're little tricks to just actually doing really quick localized action, whether it's getting on your phone, if that's where, if you're sitting on, you know, a bus, getting on your phone and signing five petitions, you know, it's like actually that kind of, okay, I've done something today, you know, mm. and then you actually, you're absolutely right to look back at what have I done? Because I was thinking, as you were saying it, like, are you, are you, you, you need to be client and climate coaching because that's what we do. We say, actually make a list of all the things that you've done. And when people are coming, they're usually coming to coaching or therapy because they're feeling quite scarce, that they're not enough. They're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. There's not enough time, but actually looking at that, it, it reminds us and it gives us this, um, 
you know, like this cognitive process that happens that looks to reinforce what we already believe. Mm. So if we're looking at what we haven't done, we're going to find all the things that we didn't do. Oh gosh, yes. I, I was going to save the world today. And I forgot, yeah. I just didn't do it. Yeah. It's like, actually, no, I did. But then it works in the other way when we're thinking sort of positively and about all the climate work that we've done. And that in turn encourages us to go and do more feeling mm. abundant, you know, actually, yeah, I did that. And I was going to do that. I'm going to go do that now, actually, yes. you know, and yeah. so that's where we want to keep it. But that's, again, that sustained action. Mm. And one of the things you mentioned earlier was that, um, you know, there's no instant reward for this climate mm. action. And I think one of the the things that that I talk about a lot with people is that there's there's often no visible mm. um, reward or um, sign of that you've done any. I, you know, I, I think one of the things I've said before is, you know, you don't switch the lights off and a polar bear sends you a selfie with a thumbs up. You know, it's <laughs> that kind that of one. and and so I think you know, thing that's why I think plastic and litter it like grabs people's attention because you can see the cause and effect and you can see an impact when you go and do a litter pick and things like that. Mm -hmm. Have you got any tips or anything for people to, to feel or to, to, mm. you know, the, to, to understand or to somehow internalize the impact of what they're doing without having that visible reward? Yeah. I mean, I love, I love that. I think Paris and Stokes says that if, um, if, climate change was like a black haze and smog yeah. or looked like litter, we would have done something about it already. Um, you know, I, I think, it's that, um, it, that localized action that you can take that really helps reinforce all the other stuff that you can't, okay. you know, the letters that you're writing yes. or the meat that you're not eating or the, um, the, you know, the way that you're buying. It's like actually that, that sort of gets thrown out into the ether. So having really sort of localized things that you do um, is a good way of sort of reminding yourself. So litter picks are a great example. You know, so that's, that's one of those things when it's, when it's starting to feel like all my actions aren't, um, aren't enough. I'm not doing enough. That's when it's time to lean into that self-care. Mm. So it might not actually be doing something. It might be going and being, being in nature, being, you know, being with your kids, being, being more focused on just what's here right now and giving yourself just that break so that you can, you know, remember that actually those things I'm throwing out into the ether do still count. They do still matter. Mm. It doesn't feel like it right now. So let's just zoom in a little bit. And that can be really hard, can't it? Because you, yeah. you when you, you know, when you are aware of like how bad things are, you like, well, I need to be on all the time. I need to be, you know, I can't, I, I can't just not do this today because this is important and this matters. And this narrative that I talk about a lot, you know, every little helps and all that sort of thing. But actually, I guess, psychologically, those periods of, of rest are, as important as the periods of action. I know some people talk about the sort of seasons, don't they? And the way mm -hmm. that the sort of spring and summer are the growth. And then you have those sort of latent periods, but actually they're giving you the energy to go forwards and do those other things. And I think that, I, you know, there's certainly so many people that need to be doing more. Um, but the people that are reading our books and that are doing the work often need permission to just do a little yes. less sometimes. And we want to offer that to people. And in, in no way are we saying be complacent don't worry about it, but it needs to be something that you, you know, you come to in that space of abundance. And that's, mm. that comes from taking that time for yourself, doing the things that nurture you, reconnecting with others, reconnecting with nature, thinking about your feelings and why your feelings are important and why they matter and what the, what's the underlayer to them? You know, what, what value is this? Why do I feel like I need to do something? Well, it's because I love my kids or mm. I love, I love that, you know, wildlife reserve. It's, you know, there's, there's things that we need to remind ourselves actually it's that feeling of like, how can I take care of myself when I have yes. to take care of the planet? It's like, actually yeah. you can't do one without the other. We're mm. all intricate, you know, we're so connected to each other and mm. to the planet. So we need that space. So before we move on to the, um, I think you and I are both quite action orientated and I really want to dive into the actions and stuff. Um, and there's loads of tools. And what, one of the things I love about the book is that it's designed to make, to, to make people engage with it. It's not a kind of, well, you, you could just sit and read it, but actually there's little activities to do and little mm -hmm. things. And so have you got a sort of favorite activity for people to do to help them engage and acknowledge and, and almost utilize some of these feelings that they might be mm. feeling quite um, scared of. Sure. Well, so we, we have an exercise called the, um, saying thank you to anxiety and you can swap anxiety for grief or for, um, for guilt or whatever it is, but it's, it's actually looking at sort of when has this served me? When has this helped me in my climate work? You know, what has this produced? What, what positive thing has this produced? 
Because then when we could sort of connect with that feeling, again, it's going to that underlayer. And it's really just sort of sitting and being there with it and allowing it to be there, but allowing it to be there without judgment on ourselves, without putting ourselves down for feeling it. I shouldn't feel anxious when I'm not directly affected. Mm. I shouldn't feel anxious. I shouldn't feel guilt or I should feel more guilty. I feel guilty for not feeling guilty enough. <laughs> you know? And just, you know, I think it's really allowing for that, but talking about it with others is, mm. is sort of a real time. And again, we see that that's where sort of working through these emotions and, and actually learning to not push them down. Like we sort of imagine a beach ball that we're trying to hold underwater. And when that beach ball pops up, that's when it actually disrupts the climate work that we need to be doing. Mm. So for the long haul, it's much better to just let the beach ball rest bobbing along on the water with Mm. you. You can swim further away from it. Sometimes, sometimes it'll come back to you, Mm. but it's just sort of allowing for it to be. And that talking with others, that can be really difficult though, can't it? Because we hear all these stats that I think, I think one I've heard recently, you know, 85% of people are worried about the, the climate. And we see lots of stats around how, how the percentage of young people with, um, you know, some degree of climate anxiety and things. Mm. But I don't hear these conversations. You know, I, I obviously, I, I am embedded in this space and I see a lot of it on social media and obviously in my communities and things. But I'm not hearing those conversations, those kind of water cooler type conversations yeah. or the conversations in the playground. And, and that can really add to that sense of isolation and anxiety and sometimes rage at other people. Like, yes. why aren't you guys worried about this? Whereas they probably are, but we're not talking about it. So how do we, uh, I think it's, you know, it's really important that you find your your tribe, maybe whether that's in person, mm. locally or online or whatever, so that you've got those like-minded people to connect with. But mm. are there any ways that we can gently start to have these conversations, even if it's with like our other half going, look, this is really freaking me out. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've absolutely hit on a point. And I think that one of the things is, you know, it, it, we live in such a polarized world mm. and that's one of the real difficulties here is it's become a political subject, yeah, yeah, not yeah. science. So th- there was a great study, though, that so, um, showed sort of the people on the uh, in, in Britain on, on sort of the different sides of the argument, the argument of science, but the, uh, sorry, <laughs> but, uh, you know, people that didn't care about global warming that weren't interested at all. It's like, where can we find the commonalities? Yes. Everybody loves David Attenborough. Yeah. Across the board. They <laughs> just love the him. Yeah. He's, He's like, he is like a national yeah, yeah. treasure and, yeah. and everyone can connect with the fact that they love David Attenborough. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's another great um, cartoon that, um, that someone we work, or Mark Maslin, who's um, written how to say um, the mm. facts on how to save our planet. Uh, he always puts up this slide and it's, um, um, but it's basically like, what if we, what if we clean up all the oceans and stop global warming? And it doesn't exist. It's like, well, we made the planet better. So you can always connect with someone. So, you know, I was, I was talking to someone and they were just, they, I, and halfway through the conversation, I realized they were just completely denying climate change. And I was like, mm, so do you like to swim? Yeah. Oh, I love, I love swimming. The sea here is so clean. It's so, you know, you don't see plastic anywhere. Oh, I hate when I see plastic. Oh, it drives mm. me. Nuts. It's like, oh, we both hate that. You know, so suddenly you're finding these connections with people. And, you, and I think there's the myth that you think you have to, you know, walk away having completely convinced someone to change their whole life. It's like actually just getting people to start thinking about this. Yes. Um, Anne-Marie Bonneau, who's the zero waste chef, says um, people don't stop uh, using plastic straws and then stop there. Yes. It snowballs. You know, once we start doing something, you go from being, you know, an all-American meat-eating, diesel-driving, da-da-da, to composting, mm. da-da-da-da. And yes. that's, you yes. know, that's a true evolution of my father. So it's possible. <laughs> Um, but, and also we were fortunate enough to have contributions from amazing activists, um, researchers, clients, Mm. um, from across the world who shared their stories. And all of them said that connecting and talking about their emotions with other people was such a lifeline. And I think that there's, um, a temptation to throw facts and stats at people to try and convince them, isn't there? Um, but actually, you know, what, what I've read and I can absolutely um, see that, you know, feel, talking about your feelings, because no one can argue with your feelings. No one can argue back with you. Well, no, you don't feel like, well, actually, yeah, I do. I know how I feel. So I, one of the great things I think that the outcomes of COP, you know, as, as disappointing or whatever they might have been, but the fact that there was so much coverage, mm-hmm. uh, media coverage around it, and um, certainly here in the UK, you know, there was pretty much two weeks of kind of programming around it from all the mm-hmm. different channels, all on it at sort of prime time. 
And that almost gave people the excuse or the opportunity to say, God, I watched that thing last night. Did you see it? Almost to have Mm -hmm. those water cooler moments to be able to say. And very um, in November, there was a I don't know if you saw it. I think there was an Ipsos poll that said that, you know, climate had become the number one um, concern for people in the UK above COVID, above the NHS, above Brexit. And, and that was purely, and now it's dropped again, but I think that, and that must have purely been because of that heightened level of um, media and then giving, but that gives people the opportunity. And I always say last night when I, this talk, I said, look, use me as an excuse. Say, I went to this talk last night and she told me, blah, and I had no idea. And now I'm feeling this, or I'm going to do that. And sometimes just having those little excuses to bring it up in conversation in a very natural way, in the same way that you would oh, I've got this new pair of jeans or I've done this is mm. um, makes it feel a bit more natural and unforced, I guess. Uh, well, I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely coming to like coming. It's coming into the le- the normal lexicon. It's coming mm. into our pop culture. Um, you know, there, I think, as I said, you know, the, um, the climate change has an image problem. It's, it's also run on a communication problem from scientists. Yes who run on the information deficit model that if this person doesn't have this information Mm -hmm. and I give them this information, what they need to do about it, they will then do that. And that's where it falls off that they will then we have, we have a saying of um, we have the technology that will save us, but not without the stories that engage us. Mm. And so, um, you know, that's where narrative comes in. And we talk, we talk a lot about developing our own narrative in our book. Um, but I'm, I'm even seeing, you know, I watched um, something called, the, uh, you know, uh, Netflix, the, the morning show, and they're covering the fires in, in California. And, you know, they're even calling it out like, oh, well, we shouldn't report on that. It's too sad. Like, let's not talk about how the firefighters are, you know, going to the rich people's house, not the poor <laughs> neighborhoods. Let's do this, this on this guy that's saving puppies. And it's like, oh yeah, because this is, this matters more. And it, but it's actually calling it out. You know, don't look up. Did the same thing. Yes. Um, and you know, that's it, the coverage that that's gotten has just been incredible. And again, we see that polarization, but we see that, like, you know, that we see where people are all coming together with it as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. So, any tips, I guess, for people to have conversations? We talked about kind of leading with feelings. We've talked about this idea of story, and I think that's a really uh, sort of key piece as well isn't it even if you're just sharing stuff on on your social media to kind of share it as a as a story to take people on that journey with you even if you're just you know posting to friends and family and things but like oh gosh I've, I've just found out this and I've decided I'm going to try this and you're not mm. calling anyone else out you're not having a go at anyone else but you're starting this story mm. and the other thing that um I don't know if you find as well like sometimes you know you're doing this stuff and I know I've spoken to people in my community and they say, God, I'm, it's, it's quite, um, sometimes it can feel quite scary posting stuff on social media because you don't know, you think your friends are just be like, oh God, she's off on one again. Or, you know, <laughs> someone's going to come and have a go at me or whatever. But so, or sometimes it's just tumbleweed. Most of the time it's just tumbleweed. They say, no one's listening. What's the point in doing this? And then all of a sudden they'll get a message, uh, a private message or something from someone going, oh my God, I saw your post and now I'm doing this. And the boost that that gives them and the lift so I would say to anybody listening as well, if, if, you know, if you follow somebody or if you've seen a friend who's doing, um, you know, stepped out of their comfort zone and making some changes, like really go up to them and, you know, not in a patronizing way, but say like, wow, that, I, that really made me think, or that, thank you for doing that. Or thank you for sharing that. Because I think that, that then gives people momentum to, to go on as well, doesn't it? Exactly. You know, and I, I sort of, I'm a coach, so I love a good metaphor. Mm. Um, but I sort of, I think that we need to view our, our climate work as a marathon. Yes. And so I have this, the climate marathon, because in that, you know, and in, in a marathon, you, you know, you run it alongside others. There are mm. people championing you. There's people cheering you on. They're the really competitive people at the front. And if yes. they want to do that with climate change, go for it. Just don't burn out. Yeah. Um, but you know, when we're, when we're, you know, we're struggling, we get, we get amped up by the people around us. And actually this is again, another opportunity to be like, oh, this is so cool. This is so sexy. I love this. You know, it's like, it's again, you know, not, not berating people. People don't like to be told what to do. Yes. People like to, people like to follow the herd. So if people are, you know, if everyone starts going green, then they start, you know, there's that natural inclination to do it. There's a great thing called the solar panel effect, um, where in a neighborhood, um, there's someone that's willing to be the pariah, the, yes. the one that's different. The, and so they put up their solar panels while the neighbors are just like, that's an eyesore. How could you do that? But yes. then all of a sudden you see the neighborhoods, this circus, like this circulation starting to happen because they're talking about, oh yeah, we're not paying anything on energy. Mm. In fact, we're feeding back to the grid. And, the, 
And then, oh, you, you've got a Tesla. I'm getting a Tesla, you know, it's like suddenly, and and yes, we're talking about, you know, sort of initial upfront costs, but you know, I've done it with composting. I've done it with, there's even the example of sort of, you know, telling people what they can save from it because it's much Mm. better for them. Talking about those co-benefits is really important, isn't it? So it just, my personal just the one that bugs me so much is people that leave cars idling oh I know and it's really bad at the moment because it's really frosty here so everyone it's too hot or it's too cold or it's you know and so it drives me crazy so I go up with a great big smile and I hold my kid's hand and I say do you know that it costs so much more money to leave your car idling did you know that I I just found that out and normally people are like oh really I, I have no idea and suddenly it starts to kind of trickle out and um, you know, it's, it's so telling people what they, how it's going to benefit them, how mm. it's going to be better for them. Not just, you'll be able to live on a, you know, livable planet. <laughs> that's that the, an that's not good enough, but, <laughs> but you know, my, um, actually my sustainable shirt is really cute and don't you love it? You know, that's, yes. that's an easier yeah, thing yeah, yeah. Do, so. I think, um, you know, and I talk about this a lot, it, it's, it's brilliant to make these individual changes, but actually we can amplify that so much more by, um, talking about it and that doesn't have to be in a um, shouty or a bashy or anything like that way but just in in talking about some like you said some of those co-benefits that come with it so maybe the money you've saved or I mean god one of the things I love about our electric car at the moment is that you can um it preheats in the morning so yeah. you know you go down and it's already defrosted and the seat's oh, warm I'm, and I just great. get in and go and it's just so amazing so yeah talking about those kinds of things I'm like oh oh wow you know yeah. that sort of thing um, right, action then, because you've got a whole chapter at the end, which is anxiety to action. So what do we need to do? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me get the book. Um, <laughs> well, again, so I mean, I think it's, I think there's a level of firstly, wrecking, again, you know, so we've talked about the emotions, meeting yourself where you are. Mm. So if you're like, if you've listened to this podcast and you're all amped up, and then, you know, your boss sends you a terrible email and then your kids are crying because they hate dinner and da, da, da. It's like, actually find out when you're going to have the most likely success. Mm. So gauge where you are today, figure out where you are. So we, we really want people to, um, to, we have this sort of Venn diagram of action, impact, and meaning. And we really want people to not just say, okay, I'm going to, it's not, I'm saving the world on Thursday. It's like, okay, no. I've, I've got to, I've got to have reasonable, achievable goals that I know that are maybe outside of my comfort zone, but I can still, I can still do this. Mm, mm. Um, so, so it's what, what's the meaning behind it? Why does it matter to me? What, yeah. what connects me to this, um, to this action that's important to me? Um, what's easy for me. And <laughs> I know that sounds like kind of a cop-out, but actually if it's easy for you, if it's something that's going to be, you know, and I'm not saying like, I, I didn't use a straw today, but you know, what's, what's easy. Um, and what's going to have the biggest impact. Mm. So again, let's go back to the marathon idea. Say that you're a person that loves to run and loves to run or wants to get into better shape or whatever it is. Um, and, and actually you also hate how much plastic's in the sea. So you, you can, you know, I'm going to do a 10 K and I'm going to do it as a fundraiser. Um, and I'm going to donate the money to plastic, mm. but then suddenly actually, how can I have the bigger impact? Well, I'm going to talk to my community and my social network about it. And I'm going to ask other people to get involved too, so that they can get their networks. And mm. suddenly we've got this one little thing of, I should go for a walk today, or I should go for a <laughs> run today to, and then if you actually look at it, the ease in that also loops you back to the self-care. Mm. And so it's really easy to be strategic in our actions that in a way that's good for us, but also good for the planet and also mm. educates people. So it's just thinking about how, how I can make this, um, you know, my best work as yeah. easy as possible and enjoyable. And I think as well, recognizing you know, where your strengths are, where your talents mm-hmm. are, the things that you find easiest yeah. um, and and kind of going with them and, and not feeling bad necessarily about the things that you feel like, oh, so-and-so is doing that. I really should be doing that. But God, that I would find that really hard work yeah. or that would really drain me. Yeah. So that idea of leaning in. And I love that idea of um, the sort of ease versus the impact and um it reminds me I've I've seen graphs before where it's kind of like a you know a, a like an addition sign and then you've got sort of ease on one axis and impact on the other and obviously yeah. what you what you really want is the the easy impactful things yeah. um you know to be sort of identifying them and looking at them um and I just think that's so important to yeah, to look at it through that lens and to not feel bad about going for the easy stuff sometimes. Yeah, but also make sure that it does have meaning to you because that's going to reconnect you to those emotions mm. and to the values that you have. So that also brings in that that little healthy bit of climate guilt to push you in the right mm. direction. Mm. 
Yeah. Again, also, I think it's, you know, back to the climate marathon, everybody has a role to play, you know, in climate in marathons, you see people um, with prosthetic legs, you see people in wheelchairs, you see blind mm. people, you see people of color, you see people um, LGBTQ, you, you know, there are all these different, everyone can take part, everyone has a part yes. to play, and everyone brings something amazing to it, they just need mm. to figure out what their strength is and how they can develop it. And then on the other hand, you know, there's also the people that are normally the wallflowers that are standing up at protests and really bringing, so, so people can grow and develop in this area as well. But again, it's that, you know, that's, that's that willing to push that ease just a little bit further and out of our comfort zone slightly, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. And that's, you know, you talked about this sort of protests and things. And I know for a lot of people that feels very, you know, personally for me, that's really out of my comfort zone going to mm-hmm. a protest and um, you know, being shouty with a placard and things like that. And I, I find it quite difficult because I'm like, well, I, I ought to push myself out of my comfort zone because this is really important, mm. but also recognising that for a lot of people, this this won't be something that they want to push mm. themselves out of their comfort zone and acknowledging that that's okay. And there are other ways that we can sort of make our voices heard. Do you sort of recognize that dilemma in people absolutely, as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think that's when we really need to, you know, listen to that very quiet self-compassion voice that can just sort of mute itself down. We need to kind of put the volume up on that. Mm. Again, it's, it's giving ourselves permission to, to do what we're going to enjoy in this work, because that's Mm. also going to produce that longevity. Um, When we do want to push ourselves, it can be interesting, an interesting experiment viewing it more as that rather than something I've either done or failed to do so if you know going going (laughs) and and just you know it's okay to dip your toe in you know you can go to a protest and you might find yourself you know strapping yourself to Trafalgar Square or you might find yourself just serving soup or you might find yourself you know whatever you're doing it's you're there and and you're allowed to be who you are there Mm. giving yourself that permission and also yeah that thing you said about viewing this as a as as an experiment and that there's no success or, you know, you could go mm-hmm. and you could hate it and that's okay. Now you know that yeah. you actually hate it rather than thinking you're going to hate it. And, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think with any, um, this is, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sort of goal setting and stuff in a minute, but, you know, that idea like, oh, well, I'm going to be 100% vegan and, and I know I failed. Well, yeah. actually, no, you haven't because now you're eating two meat-free meals a, a week or whatever. That, yeah. And so, so trying to avoid that very black and white thinking, exactly. which I personally yeah. am very good at. And there's that, there's that myth of perfection, which I think, you know, it's, it's really, we need to kind of let go of that. We don't need one person doing it perfectly. We need millions and millions of people Mm. being imperfect and, and being, you know, but again, I keep looping back to the self-efficacy, but it is literally a loop of the more you tell yourself you're, you failed, the less likely you are to take action, the Mm. more likely you are to be part of the problem, the less like around and around again. And it flips back the other way, the more likely you oh gosh, it was great. Do you realize that we, we had three vegan meals this mm. week? And actually, I don't really feel like a burger. I'm going to have this instead. You know, it's like, actually it, it does, the cycle really perpetuates itself in a positive way as well. Mm. And you talk in the book about nudging and mm. I love that idea. Can you talk to us about, about that? Yeah. Yeah. Nudging is, uh, so, so nudging is something that um, we are, is, that is done to us all the time oh, okay. that we might not <laughs> recognize. So if you go to a supermarket Everything that's on eye level with you is they're paying more to um, be at eye level with you. And so, so that's an example. Um, There's a great one. I love this one in Germany Um, in urinals, men's urinals. They were getting a bit messy. God knows why. Um, But they put, I have two boys. I know why, (laughs) you know why, (laughs) you know exactly why Um, they put a little, a little sticker of a fly on the urinal, cleaned itself up because men would aim for the fly. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, in, in hospitals, um, they have arrows on the ground pointing you to the stairs rather than the elevator to encourage exercise. So we're part of this nudge system that happens all the time, all around us. We talk about ethical nudging and green nudging. And again, that's like me saying to my dad, you, you know, you saying to, um, when you arrive at work, oh, I was so nice and toasty in my car this morning. It was excellent. My, my electric car just turns on or me saying, oh my gosh, my garden is so much better since we started composting or, you know, and so it's, and, and actually we're seeing it in, um, in businesses, you know, and we need to see it authentically. So they're not greenwashing, but Mm -hmm. we're actually seeing businesses going, they're doing this. We need to do this, but better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so that's part of that, that nudging that we can do talking about our successes as a nudge 
choosing to walk when other people are driving, you know, and, and again, it's part of being a little bit more bold, a little bit more willing to stand out, but it does have an effect and it's really, mm. it has a, a big impact. I've talked before about um, at my son's old school, he, it was about three miles away. So it was sort of cyclable, but he would point blank with, you know, it's hard enough getting out the door in the morning to school anyway, isn't it? And then this argument about cycling. And so what I would do would be to put the, um, we had a, a trailer that fitted on the back of the car that the bike could go on. So I'd drive him to school, park up, cycle home, cycle back again, and, um, you know, then pick him up. And um, and it helped that actually we've got this little um, carrier that the dog can sit in on the front. So everybody oh. would see <laughs> us in the morning and wave at us and again in the afternoon. And, and that started so many conversations with people about, oh, maybe I could, you know, how long did it take mm-hmm. you? And did you come, you know, did you, how did you manage to avoid the main road and all that sort of thing? And it did start up those conversations and it starts people just, uh, yeah, that nudge to kind of yeah. think about, well, maybe I could have a go at that. And, you know, me saying, well, I, I don't do it every day. And obviously if it's raining, I'm not doing it. And, you know, all those sorts of things. And then thinking, oh, yeah, no, I can, I don't need to do it every day, but I could give that a go once a week or something like that. So, um, yeah, that's really powerful, isn't it? Yeah. And, and people won't just stop there. They'll start thinking, actually, that's yes. close enough for me to walk or, as, mm. you know, and it does, it does fan out. So. Yeah. So goal setting, this is something, again, we talk about a lot in the um, Nakamura Mums Eco Club. And we, you know, I sort of try and gently encourage everyone to sort of set some goals at the start of the month and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But um, I, people might not be familiar, you know, they're not sort of, been um in that sort of coaching space I guess but what is the the value I guess of because it can feel a bit forced and a bit contrived to kind of set a goal what's the Mm -hmm. value of of doing that so part of part of goal setting it kind of comes in terms coach here um but I love scheduling because scheduling is really it's it's a great sort of insight into how we're operating if we're all over the place and disorganized and trying to do a million things and not really taking anything off the list, but actually more than we think. And in some places we're falling down. It's actually, it really is revealing. So when we talk about goal setting, for example, in coaching, we want to, again, anchor to that meaning impact ease. What's Mm going to be, what's going to be something that's achievable. What's my short-term goal. So, or actually sort of what's my longer term goal. So say in a month's time, what, what do I want to have achieved? What do I need to do? backwards from that to break Mm. that process down it's not so again let's just let's do the running thing because that seems to be the theme today Um, but so so it's like if I decide that I'm going to do a 10k in a month I'm not going to show up on the day and do a 10k Mm. or and if I do I'll really regret it (laughs) (laughs) so what's the first step and I mean it's working backwards to okay, I need to, and I'm wanting to raise money. So I need to, so this week I'm going to announce that I'm going to do it Mm. by announcing that we're going to do a goal and telling other people, we feel this sudden need to do it because we've already put it out there into the universe. So we've committed to people that we're Mm. going to make this happen. So then what do I need to do this week? Well, I need to go running at least three times. Oh, I also need to um, fix my shoe because it's come undone. You know, yes, like actually, yes. so, so looking at what, what are the little things that I need to do to achieve my goal? Mm. And so when we start to break this down and actually schedule in when, or, or at least note when we're doing it. So with climate work, if we are, if we have four different projects on the go and we look at, okay, I'm on, on Tuesday, I'm going to send these emails on Wednesday night. There's a meeting that I want to attend on Thursday a day. I'm going to you know, whatever it is, you know, other, other example here, <laughs> yeah. then, so we've got, we've suddenly got our week schedule of what our climate work is. And mm-hmm. that fits around kids that fix around yeah. life admin that fits around da, da, da. And so we look at this and it looks like quite a full schedule. So we really need to start with scheduling self-care as well, because if we, if we note that we get to the end of the week and we've done all the other stuff and we're exhausted and mm-hmm. burned out because we haven't put that self-care in or we haven't crossed the self-care out, mm. that's when that work is going to start to feel scarce, depleting, extractive. And that shouldn't be the case. It should mm-hmm. be enriching. It should be invigorating. It should be something that we look back over the week and we say, I did my goals and I'm going, and you know, these were my you know, rewards for doing my goals. Um, after I sent those emails, I went for a beautiful walk in, in the woods and it was lovely. You know, it's like, we need to build that space in because in, in marathons, you have mile markers, you know, mm. and then at the end of the marathon, you celebrate, you have a big success. You have this big wow moment. Mm. So then when we get to the end of the 10 K that we've planned for, for the month, not just having shown up on the day and feeling horrible, we're ready for it. We've earned money for the charity that we wanted to. 
and we feel really excited and we go and eat all the pasta in the world. Yeah. And, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. So it's really important to kind of for goal setting to signal, to schedule um, and to celebrate. Amazing. And that, that, I mean, the running analogy works so well, because, if, you know, if you are training for a marathon or a long, you schedule in rest days, do you know, yeah, like it's not yeah. like every day you're you're plodding along doing the same thing and you will change it up and you will do different types of training and stuff mm. like that. And, you know, doing it with a body makes it much more likely yeah. that you're going to be able to do it and stuff like that. And we also hit, we also hit setbacks, you know, things yes. will come up, things will happen, have we'll injury, hit hills or, or you'll have an injury. And so that's when we, we, you know, we need to look at what's happened, how we're going to process through it, how we're going to get back in the saddle or mm. the running shoes or whatever pro- proverbial you want to put in there. Yeah. So thinking about a goal, like, um, you know, we have this um, need to have global emissions by 2030 um our part in that as uh, individuals is reducing our carbon footprints and mm-hmm. um chatting to joe from um geeky she says you know the average carbon footprint is about sort of nine or ten tons and we need to get that down to two and a half by 2030 which looking you know that's a bit like someone saying to me you're going to run a marathon like oh my god that feels yeah. and and so that's where i guess the, the kind of breaking it down comes in because you know mm-hmm. to go from 10 to two and a half feels like whoa but actually I've got eight years to do that. But then that makes me think, oh, I'm just going to sit back and do nothing, which is kind of what the governments are doing. Is we're just going to sit back and do yeah. nothing and then worry about it in 2049 in terms of net zero. Um, so, you know, I guess chunking it down, well, okay, so maybe that's 10% a year, um, which works out, you know, like 1% a month maybe. And, and mm-hmm. so what can I do this month? So when we're talking about timescales, what are useful timescales to work towards for things? Because sometimes it can feel too far off to, to do anything about immediately. Well, I think, I think you've rightly said sort of, you know, I think we need to hold ourselves as individuals accountable to ourselves, but we need to understand that we're a part of a system that is fundamentally flawed. Mm. And actually the, the weight of this should be on governments. They should Mm. be acting. And so again, when we're feeling that personal climate guilt, we need to, it's a good time to actually shift that guilt into rage. And it's okay to be really angry at, you know, the systems that are involved. And that's when you can look at actually, so if I want to cut my personal um, emissions, actually let's go back to that impact, mm-hmm. impact place. And, and so as I consume, making sure that I'm consuming in a way that has a bigger impact to show those systems above us mm-hmm. that they need to change, that they need to get better. They need to do better. Um, so I think that when, when we do that, we need to kind of, we really need to hold those responsible accountable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, I think if we're starting to go like, you know, by the, by the ton of how much I'm reducing, how much I, you know, that's going to start to feel like sort of either let's do that in nine years, like everyone else, yes, and exactly yeah. how you said, or I need to be doing it all at once. Um, so I think it's just, uh, it's a matter of doing that long-term work mm. and keeping yourself sustained in the work that you're doing, enjoying it. That's, that's how you're going to have the biggest impact of keeping yourself, you know, doing the self-care again, getting other people involved, expanding it. Because suddenly if, if you, if you're doing the climate marathon and then you're like, Hey, come here, you do this with me. Suddenly that, that monthly, you know, emissions drop has doubled, Mm, you know, and then get them involved tripled, you know? And Mm. so actually again, talking to other people about it and, and the work that you're doing and trying to get others involved as well. So nudging has a big impact on cutting not only ours, but also sort of gaining bonus points for doing it as well. Mm. I'm super aware of time and I could talk to you all day about this. One thing I just want to touch on when you were talking about the scheduling, mm-hmm. um, I think one of the things that maybe stops a lot of people doing stuff is, is this, like, I'm already super busy. I'm already overwhelmed with life admin and COVID and the kids and, you know, all these kinds of things. And totally. then um, where am I supposed to fit this in? Like, you know, you're looking at your diary and you're thinking, well, then now you've told me I've got a schedule in self-care as well. Like where, <laughs> where do I, um, so I guess, are there any tips for finding time or, or is it a case of actually it comes back to that meaning? And if this is a really important why for you, then how can you make time for this? Is it, mm. is it that? I think it's both. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's so, it's such an intense but interesting time that we live in because, you know, a lot of people are still working from home, still educating the kids at home or, mm-hmm. or they're, you know, they go to drop them off and the classes close, you know, there's, we're living in this sort of constant doing stuff mm-hmm. phase. And I, I'm noticing more and more people are starting to kind of reject this as something that we need to accept. 
of having to always be on the go, having to always be doing everything right. And, and while we really, we, you know, we can't go down the complacency route or the apathetic route or the paralysis route of complete overwhelm, what we need to do is just start slow with simple achievable goals you know, that might be for, for one person, it might be signing a petition this mm-hmm. week, but then it's saying, I signed a petition this week. Could I do more? And then it's like, yeah, I could probably do more. I could, I'll sign five next week, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's five. And then it's like, it's, again, it's the snowball effect of the more you do it, the more you mm. relate to that identity, the more that becomes your story and your narrative. Yeah. Um, but then also at the same time, including that narrative of self-care as well. You know, I, I remember this is, totally oversharing. Um, but I had to, I had my babies kind of close together and I remember, um, having just given birth and going up for my follow-up checkup and the doctor saying, Oh, do you want to just leave them in here while you go to do the urine sample? And I was like, Oh, and I sat down. I was like, so nice to have some me time. And I thought, wow, (laughs) wow. I can't believe I just said that on a podcast. Um, (laughs) I think all, all, um, parents will relate to that, that, um, you know, I just want to go for a wee on my own. Um, but, but, you know, it's actually, it's, it's, we deserve that. And if we're doing climate work and we're taking this on with everything else that we're taking Mm. on that it's, it's essential that it goes together. Then the thing that we've just gained so much insight in um, is from young activists because they're talking more about their emotions. They're more open to discussing them and they are completely aware of how important self-care is. Mm. They take media blackouts. They talk to their friends, they reconnect with nature they've really inspired us to acknowledge how important this space is. Mm. And I think they're coming to it from a place of like, we're really in this for the long haul. And if we all start recognizing that now, then we're going to be more able to take care of our mental health and more likely to achieve our goals. Amazing. And I was going to ask you for like a a final tip to end on or something like that, but that's always really, I know, I know I've been put in that position for you. Like, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Do you have like a, a message that you really want everybody to um, take on. I guess it's the, we know what we need to do, or we, we know what it is. We know what we need to do. We know about it. We know what we need to do, but we need to learn how to do it in a mm. way that helps us. And we just want to encourage people to really thrive in the work that they do. Um, so, you know, it, that, that is leaning into that self-care, connecting with others, mm. um, and giving up the myth of perfection, but yes. still doing the work that we need to do. Amazing. Thank you so much. So the book is Turn the Tide on Climate Anxiety. Um, available everywhere you can buy books uh yeah as far as I think so yeah <laughs> so um I usually recommend to people if you're looking online then uh, Hive and Bookshop are good yeah. a world of books have actually started doing new books as well local bookshops yeah um, yeah an independent local bookshop then please do go and share and them. pass them on yes yeah absolutely and I've actually got I said I've, I've, I've ended up with two copies for some reason so I'm going to do a giveaway on um socials as well so people are looking out for that but um yeah I mean use the book as a as a a social media post like oh wow I've just got this book and um, you know, <laughs> I'm all these things and that kind of thing um that that helps you guys but also I think it helps start that conversation and things as well doesn't it, it opens up a conversation around climate anxiety and I'm feeling yeah. like this and so I bought this book about it and these are the things I'm learning and this is a book that there's a lot of work you know there's a lot of work and exercise throughout it so it's not one that you read through once and you know in one sitting you know yes. you can come back to it you can remind yourself of the exercises and the visualizations and things like that as well so it's definitely yeah it's it's there for whenever you need it (laughs) oh brilliant well thank you huge thank you to you and Patrick for writing it um and thank you for coming on especially today when it's publication day and I'm sure you're (laughs) a bundle of different emotions and um, very busy (laughs) thank you so much for all of your work we love your stuff and yeah we're just we're so happy people like you are out there oh thank you been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, Do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.